touch that dial because this is the Dial Podcast, bringing you the very latest and greatest in the world of sports, entertainment, media, culture, tech, all that goodness. I am your host. My name is Josh Pritchett, and I'm going to be joined here in a couple of moments by my friend Parker Holmes. He is the host of the Real Tech Hours podcast, the show where he talks about tech during Real Tech Hours. Got a big show for you today, the second of our third season, uh, recently revamped and revived and rejuvenated in all the re's. Uh, talk about the things that happened at the Capitol here in a minute. Um, we're going to discuss uh, Tesla recalling some units. Um, and we're also going to recap the show from Monday. Um, first, the rant. I said we're going to talk about a little bit about the events. Oh. Water's good. Um, talk about the events. That happened at the Capitol on Wednesday, the 6th, um, so a little over a week ago now. Um, this is the rant. Now, please bear with me because this is not an all-encompassing memo, rant, um, talk, um, a lot of opinion, and some facts intermingled here. Um, we'll be having a discussion about this afterwards. You are feel you are please feel free to to respond and reply uh, for those of you who listen um, and let me know what you think you can send an email to ask the dial podcast at gmail.com that is a s k t h e d i a l p o d c a s t c a s t at gmail.com ask the dial podcast and eventually you can find us on instagram for now just follow my instagram the creative jp so the rant um, 2020, it was a year that is difficult to sum up in so few words, full of tragedy and pain, um, also full of hope and progress, foremost on everyone's mind, coronavirus aside, are steps being taken to improve the culture of social justice and equality in our nation after the deaths of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and countless others at the hands of police violence, law enforcement, brutality. Um, even more recently, actually, not even in 2020, at the start of this year, we all watched in disbelief as the Capitol building in Washington was full of demonstrators and protesters and rioters upset and angry at the results of this past year's election. Now, the events of Wednesday the 6th not only showed us how volatile of a state we are in as a nation, um, regardless of your own personal politics, but they also resulted in the death of a young woman and several other people. I think five people died during the events of the Capitol riots. Um, not to overshadow the sadness of a life lost or the other uh, lives lost in 2020 uh, due to COVID or injustice or law enforcement brutality, but the saddest and most angering thing um, to me about the ordeal of Wednesday the 6th were the images that surfaced of flags and signs saying things like, Jesus saves, or God bless America. Now, for full disclosure's sake, I agree with both of these statements. Um, as a Christian myself, I do believe that Jesus saves, and I pray fervently that God does indeed bless America. But on this day, these banners were out of place. Would the Jesus of the Bible, of the Gospels, um, 
and apologies if anyone is bothered by my turn to the theological here, but would he really approve of this kind of behavior? Um, and religion aside, the other most bothering thing about the events of the Capitol, to me, is that anyone, anyone at all, was with, allowed within 100 feet of the Capitol entrance. Democrats, they blame Trump for agitating his fan base. Republicans blame Antifa for mingling in the crowd uh, and stirring up violence among what had once been peaceful protests. Now, to me, when the seat of government is breached in full daylight by citizens, regardless of their political affiliation, all bets are off, and there's clearly a problem. But let's back up a bit. If you follow me on Instagram, you may recall that on Wednesday, I shared a clip from Tucker Carlson tonight on my feed, during which, uh, that's Fox News, during which he talked about trying to understand why there were even people in D.C. protesting the results of the election, protesting and then rioting eventually, the results of the election in the first place, which according to them was a fraudulent one. People on both sides are claiming that this is downright false, uh, electoral fraud, and that people protesting need to back down and, quote, listen to reason, but again... Let's take another step back, taking all of this as we should with a grain of salt. Okay, so between Biden, Trump, and Libertarian candidate Joe Jorgensen and various other fourth-party votes at write-ins, etc., a total of 158,383,800, yes, that's been written down because I couldn't remember that, votes were cast in the 2020 election. One of the biggest arguments that people have presented for a fraudulent election is that a 2019 statistic puts the number of Americans registered to vote at just over 133 million. Now, if that's true, that's a major, major problem. Again, if there is fraud, which this number seems to indicate, a discrepancy of over 25 million votes is something that every American, not just Trump supporters, should be pissed up to their necks about. If there's this much room for fraud, again, pending the legitimacy of said estimate, this is a major problem with American infrastructure that points a very telling finger toward corruption, duh, in our government. But I'm not done. See, another estimate puts the number of eligible voters closer to 240 million, which, of course, would solve that problem and thus is the main counterestimate to the claim of election fraud. But honestly, it doesn't make me feel any better. Fraud or no fraud, how can there be two estimates regarding the number of registered voters in our country that differ by over 100 million voters? And we'll try to piece that, you know, break that down later. Something is very wrong. So honestly, no one can rightfully tell me um, that the people in D.C. last week didn't have reason to be there. Also, I'm remembering now there's not only just those two estimates, there's actually a third one that puts the number of votes, I think uh, Parker was telling me, I think between 210 and 213 million. So there's uh, two to three estimates that differ by several million votes. So that's, that's the point. Uh, but no one can rightfully tell me that the people in D.C. didn't have reason to be there last week because they did. It doesn't change the reality, of course, that no one, and I mean no one, should be able to step foot inside the Capitol building without vetting and authorization. I don't care if you're Elvis back from the dead with proof of fraud in your own hands. You need to be allowed in. So why does stuff like this happen? Uh, how can the Capitol be breached in broad daylight? How can we have two estimates about voting that differed by such a wide margin. Okay, I'll tell you, it's on us, man. We don't listen anymore. We're afraid of being wrong. We're afraid of having a discussion. In fact, I'd say that most of us can't. Why? We don't know enough to do so. We're, we blindly vote for politicians who say things we want them to say, blindly trusting that they'll actually do it. Without putting our own effort in, 
to do the research on who is up to bat. It's why I tell countless people time and time again, if you can't make an informed vote, then don't bother voting at all. But about being informed, that might be something that isn't entirely on us, and you'll have to bear with me. There's some statistics. Uh, according to a 2020 Gallup poll, only 9% of Americans trust the media, quote, a great deal, followed by 31% who have a, quote, fair amount of trust in media. 27% trust the media, quote, not very much. And a majority, 33%, describe their trust in the media as, quote, none at all. The point being is that around 60% of us ultimately don't trust the people on TV. The Don Lemons, the George Stephanopoulos, the Bill O'Reilly's, the Chris Hayes's, etc. The people saying, no, there's no fraud. And no, there was no Antifa thugs in the crowd. And no this and no that. We say that we don't trust them, yet we echo what they tell us. And no, I am not necessarily making a claim as to what I personally believe about election fraud or this or that or government corruption or Antifa, blah, blah, blah. A lot of pictures on social media seem like they could indicate this and numbers and estimates seems that they could indicate that. But I will say, I will say this. It's dangerous, I think, to dismiss claims like these outright, regardless of how out of left field they seem. Really, there's no possible way that there were thugs in the crowd. Maybe there's no evidence, maybe. But just remember, anyone can wear a hat that says, make America great again, regardless of whether or not they like Trump or the statement. Just like I can wear a cross on my neck or wave a flag that reads Jesus saves, and call myself a good Christian goes both ways. But back to things being on us. On our watch, we've put politicians in power on both sides who keep getting reelected and reelected by these lobbyists and special interest types who tell them, do X, Y, and Z for us. We'll get you reelected. And we help them. This illustrates one of the two biggest things the founding fathers of our great nation, yes, I said great, missed when drafting the Constitution. The first and worst one was properly addressing slavery, which interestingly has led by extrapolation to many of the other problems we faced in 2020. The other, term limits. Uh, it wasn't even until after World War II that term limits for the presidency were introduced. But somehow, somehow we completely missed limiting terms for congressmen. And it's a slip up that's put us into this aforementioned cycle of career politicians being reelected into office. And by the way, a career being a, a politician should not be a career. It's an act of public service, not a career, by the way. Ready for the big take? I don't think they are. There's a massive rift. I think there is anyway. A schism coming for our government. Give it four to ten more years. And I think it's not outside the realm of possibility that our two dominant political parties could split, yes, into three or four. Let's look at why. I don't think it can be denied that the fringes of each party have become too extreme. The alt-left is too progressive, too erring on the side of postmodern Marxism for many such as myself to be comfortable with. But the alt-right isn't much better with white supremacy groups here and there that are easily called fascist. And this also is too extreme for me to be comfortable with, and as should be the case. The political middle, the establishment swamp, as it were, to borrow one of Mr. Trump's ironically accurate uh, slangs, I guess, is greedy, old, and they're too powerful. They are the career politicians that we keep voting into office. They're the political majority as as extreme as the fringes are, the fringes are not the majority. Very few people, I think, who understand history 
civics, and social reform, among other things, would advocate for either of these extremes to be put in place in our country. All we have to do is look back to the last century, to Germany and to Russia, to see the dangers, and countless other countries, by the way, to see the dangers of fascism and socialism. Millions dead. Millions in both cases for different reasons, yes, but the outcomes are different. The people in the establishment, both conservatives and liberals alike, are also smart. You have to be in order to keep getting reelected. But as I've said, they've begun to enjoy their power too much. Greed and corruption are becoming so obvious in our country's establishment that it's laughable. But because of this corruption, the extremes are in danger of seizing the day. We all need to take a step back from the cliff, learn some humility, learn how to care. The career politicians, they don't. If they did, we wouldn't have had to choose between Biden, who in a sick twist of irony, is a career politician himself, having been in office since the 70s, and Trump. Republicans and conservatives who are afraid of the alt-left need to be able to look inwardly and see the problems of their own party when their own ideals are pushed too far to one side. Democrats and liberals need to start doing the same thing on the flip side, aware of the danger at the far end of the tunnel, but equally wary of the radicalism from within. If we can't start doing this, we will be living in a dangerous world of absolute extreme ideology, one where we put our friends down and keep them from speaking simply because we don't like what they have to say. Now, one of my favorite bumper stickers, just as a parting thought that I've seen this year through all the chaos, is one that says, vote Obi-Wan Kenobi 2020. He's our only hope. Now, maybe if you can't take it from me, take it from Obi-Wan himself who, as he watched his best friend, this is Anakin, turn to the dark side of the forest and say, if you're not with me, you're my enemy. Boldly replied, only a Sith deals in absolutes. That, my friends, is the rant. If you have questions, comments, concerns, criticisms, anything to say about it at all, want to have a discussion, again, send me an email, askthedialpodcast at gmail.com. Hit me up on Instagram, um, the, at the Creative JP. And now I believe um, I'm joined by my friend, my boy, uh, Parker Holmes of the Real Tech Hours podcast. What do we do on Real Tech Hours, Parker? We talk about tech during Real Tech Hours. During Real Tech Hours. <laughs> oh, we haven't done it much recently. We have not done it much recently. Neither of us have been super. Water is good. Hold on. <laughs> Neither of us have been really consistent on uh, on the podcasting grind. But Parker, um, before we get into real tech, I, I definitely want to let you speak to some of the things that I've just talked for about ten minutes about. Um, so I, I said that I would I wanted to you know get your opinions on the fact that we have all these estimates about the voters what are you what are we thinking about that how do we feel about having all these estimates I mean I uh, I don't really see why there's a bunch of different estimates there's one easy way to go about this and it's just 2018 voter rolls can tell you how many people exactly were uh enroll or what do you call it in not enlisted but uh in, in the signed up to vote uh -huh. and, or and that kind of thing and 
and yeah, it's around like 211 million so as of 2018. As of 2018, so it's been two years since then, and so, obviously that number's gone up. Yeah, so obviously that, from one point of view, that puts to bed the idea of fraud um, from a strictly person and people voting point of view. There's obviously all kinds of discussions about problems with the voting machines uh, being hackable. Some websites claim they've debunked these theories. Other websites claim they haven't. Um, there's video that I've personally seen myself of supposed ballots being pulled out from under tables after poll workers have left places. Some people are saying that is important. Some people are saying there's not. There's, there's all this debate and discussion and so it really just seems like my biggest problem, again, you know, fraud or no fraud, that whole discussion aside, is that there is no clear consensus about any, any, any of the things that either point to fraud or no fraud. There's just – there's too much argument, and people need to calm down and be like, how can we either prove there is or prove there isn't? Um, and that seems like there's that's just not happening. We're we're seeing all the theories, and we're seeing supposed proof and disproof. Um, but every everybody's covering different things, and so I don't really. That's that's the thing that concerns me, and that's another thing that I think is concerning about having the voter roll from 2018. That seems to be the exact number, but then we have all these other estimates that are surfacing. You know, I don't. Yeah, but I mean, people make plus it's kind of one of those things where you're talking about where it's like you know, the general distrust of the media that seems to just occur in general and it's getting i would say it's definitely getting worse on both sides if people just outright not trusting the media and then the media doing things to make themselves seem untrustworthy yeah. but i i mean whenever you look at events like this i i feel like it's always going to occur, and this year, I would say, is definitely special just because of how different things were this time around. You mm -hmm. couldn't have every person show up to a voting booth or uh, a, a polling station or something like that, where a lot more people were voting from home, and this... And it's not a new concept. Voting from home is definitely not a new concept. I can't remember which state it is. If it's Washington or something, I be I believe it's one of the northern states. I think it was Washington, if I remember correctly, off the top of my head, who has been doing uh, uh, mail-in ballots statewide for every single person for years now at this point. And I, I mean, to kind of force such a system onto the states in the rushed fashion that we had it occur i mean it, it, events are going to be like this it's the if everybody's first time around somebody yeah. accidentally shifts the ballots too far to the left and and immediately there's videos of it on twitter saying dear lord look at what they're doing that they're, they're it's happening the, the election fraud is happening right in front of me it's, yeah. it's like chill out if we just you know we, do we sit about we sit down we think about it for a little bit you know a lot of the stuff we can kind of like brush away as it's like and obviously we shouldn't brush away straight out the gate just because it's the first time that it occurred but you got to remember it's the first time that anything like this has occurred on yeah, a national it's, scale it's bound to create problems for sure yeah. exactly you gotta gotta 
take in the full context of the events, not just in the election, but surrounding and, and affecting because that's that's just how the world works. These things aren't isolated. They are everything is interconnected, especially given this last year. I mean, that, that's it clearly shows that. And I think that's another one of the things that's disconcerting is, you know, again, I'm, I try to be very objective and, and very open to um, taking in as much evidence from either side as I can before I have enough, you know, definitively to say, okay, this is what I believe. Um, but it's just, it's so disconcerting to see people taking the smallest bit of evidence for one side's claims or the other as gospel to say okay this definitively proves there was fraud or this definitively proves there wasn't and i think that uh speaks to that other thing i wanted to to let you chime in about of living in the absolutes living in living in the if it's not this it's that um and so i i i i brought up that it can be dangerous to to speak like that and to live in a world like that and so what do you do? You have anything to to comment about that? Those dangers, uh, those possibilities. I mean, it. There's always it, there's always going to be people like that. Obviously, there have been for as long as people have been around. There will be for as long as people continue to be around. There, it, it's just because it's it's you see it more often because it's easier for them to play up that type of person. If they, you know, mm-hmm. it's somebody somebody posting something on social media somewhere or it's someone in the news or it's someone on their own personal talk show or something like that they're gonna say hey look at this look at this one event that i saw you know this is so crazy i can't believe that this happened how could they let this happen right and then it's it's one single event there's in in everything that occurs you know that's on a scale this big it's hard to you know, control everything. You can't be everywhere all at once. And there's going to be bad actors, and there's going to be events like this that go down that where somebody can say, "Sure, all right, this person, you know, was deliberately trying to just let's say, for example, a person was deliberately trying to destroy mail-in ballots." Of course, you know, it doesn't matter which candidate they're doing it for. They're right. a bad actor, and they have clearly bad intentions. And you know, somebody's going to somewhere say, "Look, look, look, look what we found! Look what we found! That's so crazy! You said that it didn't happen, but here it is, right here. This proves mm-hmm. it's happening." And I mean, sure, we can go and we can nitpick every single little event if they'd like to sit down and do that. But I mean, I don't that I don't see the point in in doing it or listening to somebody do it because you know. It, I hate to say it, but stuff happens, and you just kind of like gotta deal with them, and then you know keep moving on. It doesn't set the standard for everybody else in the future based on what one person does at one point, mm-hmm. and we shouldn't go in and fly what one person does to a whole thing. You wouldn't say because one person commits tax fraud, everybody in the United States is committing tax fraud. Full disclosure: I'm not committing tax fraud. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thanks but <laughs> I'm I'm not admitting to committing tax fraud, but. You know, you can't just say because one person committed tax fraud that tax fraud is rampant and everybody's committing tax fraud. Right. It's it's that's kind of you know, it's yeah. not just like you're saying. There's no absolutes occurring. It's not because one thing happens, everything else must be happening similar to the way this one right. thing's happening. There has there has to be this balanced overview, and it's interesting what you said about 
paying attention to the nitpicking versus not paying attention to it. Um, there's always going to be someone who's just so data and evidence driven that will do that. Um, and because there are people like that, what whatever the actual objective truth is about whatever happened in the election or anything else, you know, leave the election out of it. Um, if something if something occurs, if this crazy event occurs, and there's all these people saying this and that about it, there will be someone who comes along and takes it upon themselves to do all the research, to look at all the video, to go through all the paperwork, and they will uncover something. But again, it's that balance between do people want to listen to that person? You know what I mean? Um, so that's just interesting to, to consider as well. Um, because it's crazy to see what what that kind of space that we live in where everyone is so quick to uh, condemn and not look inwardly, you know, to, to throw the stone but not uh, check not, and see if their house is made of glass first. Not see the stones in everybody else's hand and if their own house is made of glass, exactly. Um, and again, with, with all the election stuff, like I'm at a, I'm at a spot where – you know, because you have, you know, people covering this and people covering that, I wouldn't be surprised if someone comes out and finally says, hey, there is actually definitive evidence of fraud, but I wouldn't also be surprised if someone comes out and says it can be explained. I'm just at a point where it's like, well, regardless of what happened, it's like, you know, the, you know, Biden's the president, and if he was rightfully that, okay if he's not then okay we're just gonna have to deal with it and hopefully do a better job either way next year because again it's it goes back to that issue of it's our own fault that we've put people in office that have given us these two choices you know between a career politician and someone who is just so far not balanced and so far a narcissist that it's like man anyway uh just one or two more things about this then we'll move on to some I don't know, maybe more lighthearted stuff. <laughs> um, uh, do you have any like hot takes, predictions about next four years? I made a couple in the rant. Um, do you have anything that you think is going to happen next couple yeah, years? Yeah, I've got to say it's it's pretty much right on the money with what I've been thinking about. I These next four years or eight years or 12 years, or something is going to occur and – Something has already begun occurring, is the best way that I can put it. Something has already started, and it's impossible to go back from it. Mm -hmm. What is occurring, we have to wait and see at this point, at least that I think. I Just based on everything that's occurred over the last four years, you can't tell me that going forward, if we get four more years of, you know, something, you know, these last four years have been pretty crazy, no matter what side of the aisle you sit on, and then... If the next four years are pretty crazy, I just think people are gonna have, have had had it. They're just gonna be done. I feel the general pub, the general population of the entire United States is is just tired at this mm -hmm. point. And if they have to deal with it, for they have to deal with it for another four years. I mean, you you want to see people marching on Capitol to try to take out, to try to you know get rid of the current government. I it's gonna be a lot worse if things don't. If they don't start writing their shit and they don't, you know, start thinking with the brain that they use to get themselves elected. 
right? And I mean, it's it's really this is critical. I I I keep coming back into my this thought in my head where it's just like I keep spinning around a circle, and every time I think about something, I always think these next four years or next eight years or these next couple of years in general are critical. Something mm-hmm. you know, we have to see some kind of change occur in the way that you know the government is like all right you know we're getting our act together we're, we're fixing it up we've been slacking off this last you know 20 plus years or however long you want to give them a it's time been, frame been a they've been slacking off for a, a while things, and things have been pretty consistently you know, down since since clinton actually if you if you look at the statistics of poverty and the wealth gap um it's been pretty consistently Maybe not spiraling out of control, but a right. Slow, but it's just kind of slow generally decline. slowly yeah. going downward, and and if it doesn't turn around, I, I, I mean, it it won't look very bright. Is the only conclusion that I can come to. We, you know, there's got to be some serious change, and the main problem is, is that it's just these things are so big picture, and we are thinking on timelines of four to eight years whereas that's not even close to how much time it would take to sit down and really think and put some time and effort into the solutions to solve these problems that we're currently facing in the world today i mean you know just look at some of the things that the government is trying to tackle right now in terms of uh you could bounce around from the different issues with the fallout from the removal of net neutrality which we've yet to see the massive antitrust investigations that are being launched against all these companies which is quite frankly long overdue i mean there's you know like tax reform and all these kind of things that people are pushing out into the mainstream pushing into the public i have been big issues for a while and they just kind of keep getting these like quick duct tape patches to a nuclear bomb that is potentially exploding at any minute if we don't stop putting duct tape on it and actually mm-hmm. fix the timer to stop the countdown from going yep. right we can't just keep adding minutes onto the clock it doesn't work like that eventually the clock runs out of time there's not enough zeros to stop the bomb from going off you have to solve the problem instead of giving it these quick little band-aids and i think that's the problem is we just hit everything with a quick little band-aid and because we work in four-year time frames where as if you look you know elsewhere in the world sure you know they're not doing fantastic but some places are just generally handling things better because they don't think on these four to eight year time frames where i only have this much time in office i have four to eight years to make my impact to make my mark you know you've got to think 20 30 years on down the line what am i doing today that will affect what they're going to be doing yeah. 20 30 years from now and you have to set up this long chain of events that will occur and can continue to occur even after you are gone mm-hmm. which people will say and look and see the value in what you're trying to set up and say yeah. this is a good idea we are going yeah. to continue doing this even if you know i am a republican and a democrat set this up i see the value in what they started here and it makes sense and it would in general is a net positive for the general populace we have to continue this that's the way that we need to shift our thinking from how can we how can we help ourselves now to how can we fix it for the future right we we're 
we are taking out these massive stimulus packages and bolstering up in you know this insanely crazy economy right now who's going to pay for it later on right mm-hmm. we have to think on these longer timelines and i think that's just is, is we're not thinking far enough in advance I'm telling you what man we need people in office who are in tune with modern society and that's one of the problems with these term limits is you have people or lack thereof you have people in office who have been there for 50 years or more and part of their mind is still back in where and when they were elected the first time you know it's a right. different it's a different world that we live in and if we're trying to do things the same way now as we did in 1973 or 1980 again like you said we're just, just doesn't work like that we're, we're adding band-aids we're adding duct tape and we're not looking at the incoming disaster yeah i mean we need term limits we need this is so much we need younger people in office there's all kinds of things people who understand anyway uh let's turn this election uh um disappointing talk into some interesting (laughs) educational talk um i found this cool little thing little trivia on farmersalmanac.com uh so here's some 10 fun facts about American um, elections. Um, number one, why Tuesday in November? Um, so obviously we know that the first – the election um, – the pri- presidential primary election occurs every four years on the first Tuesday in November. Um, and that is because in 1792, a law officially designated this day as election day each year because this guaranteed – that no more than 34 days could pass between the first Wednesday in December, which is when um, the Electoral College met to vote on the president and vice president. Um, And most Americans were farmers back then, so this date ensured that farmers weren't trying to find time to vote during the busy harvest season. Um, Number two, prison votes. Felons in both Maine and Vermont are allowed to vote and have been allowed since... Those states were founded in 1820 and 1872. Um, Number three, President Zachary Taylor never once voted prior to his electoral victory. He never voted and kept his political beliefs a secret all up until his 1848 election. Number four, Teddy Roosevelt was the youngest person to ever become president. He was only 42. Um, And as William McKinley's vice president, became president when McKinley was assassinated. McKinley was one of... um, three American presidents to be assassinated. There was him, and then Kennedy, and then obviously Lincoln. Um, President Kennedy was the youngest to be elected to the office, um, aged 43 when he was elected. Um, Regarding the oldest, uh, Mr. Trump is the oldest to be elected at 70, um, and President Ronald Reagan was the oldest to hold the office. He was 77 when his presidency ended. Um, Number five, in the early days, votes were not cast by a secret ballot, but by raising hands or by voice. Imagine if you disagreed with your buddy next to you and somebody was like, uh, all in favor of uh, uh, this, that, and this, and that. Uh, Say aye. The guy next to you says aye, you don't. You say, hey, Billy, do we need to have a conversation? Um, By the mid-1800s, some states were using paper ballots, but voters or party leaders were responsible for bringing the ballots to the polls, and the votes were public. 
Um, number six, the legal voting age in the U.S. was once 21, but in 1943, Georgia became the first state to lower the legal voting age to 18. This became an official part of the U.S. Constitution when the 26th Amendment was ratified in 1971. Number seven, about 60% on average turn out for presidential elections while only 40% come to the polls for midterms, which ironically is interesting because I think that these midterms are going to be just as important, if not more important, than the presidential election we've just had. Uh, like Parker was saying, you know, these next couple of years are going to be very critical for the development, the continued development of our nation um, in the modern age, um, just trying to get things right, trying to not have Band-Aid solutions, and so getting these midterm Congress people right is going to be very critical. Um, number eight, George Washington's entire campaign budget for his 1758 election to the House of Burgesses, that's the, that was the old school Virginia House of Representatives before the American Revolution, uh, his entire campaign budget was spent on liquor. He was buying beer. Uh, 50 British pounds to purchase 160 gallons of alcohol that was given um, to 390 voters. This was a tradition in England, one that Washington borrowed and employed in Virginia. Number nine, uh, the 19th Amendment was adopted in 1920, giving women the right to vote. And since 1964, more women have gone to the polls than men during presidential election years. So girls, you go. You go get them. Uh, number 10, Gerald Ford is the only person who served as president and vice president without having been elected to either office. And that is all That's the, crazy. That that is all the election uh, things and Capitol Hill craziness we have for you today. And now it is time for Real Tech Hours with Parker. Oh, boy. Well, before we get into Real Tech Hours, I actually just remembered this and I quickly threw it on there. It's less about tech and it's more about business in general. But something occurred over the past couple of days that has sparked some interest, some curiosities in the in the general business realm. And I think it has some interesting implications for a trend we're going to see here occurring very soon. So I don't know if you've been keeping up, but Tesla is leaving California. Did you know that? Why am I not surprised? Why am Tesla I not surprised? So back at the beginning of the lockdowns of the pandemic, the uh, Tesla factory, uh, Elon Musk, I guess specifically, and uh, the state of California have been going back and forth at it. They were trying to get the Tesla factory back up and running, but uh, as we all know, California has been one of the most prone to lockdown places where they just kind of you know, go into full lockdown, and it's been very difficult. For them to try to conduct their business whether they should be or not i'm not going to open that up for discussion everybody has their own opinion <laughs> on whether they should be doing business or not during the current time i don't care they're just trying to make money and elon musk is trying to keep a company afloat that he's working very hard so you have to look at from both sides sure california is trying to keep people safe but elon musk is trying to keep a company afloat and they are both very concerned about the people that they're trying to care for. Elon Musk is trying to care for an entire company of people, whereas the state of California is trying to care for an entire state of people. So which one supersedes the other? I couldn't tell you. But they were having a lot of issues going back and forth, trying to get their 
uh, Fremont facility open back up for production because obviously Tesla is currently in their critical state where they've just started making profit. They're trying to, you know, keep things going in the positive direction and you kind of have to make vehicles to be able to sell vehicles. Mm -hmm. That's one of the crazy things about business. And so basically it came to a boiling point. I'm sorry. I said absolutely revolutionary. Right. A genius idea, but it came to a boiling point where, uh, Elon, I said, screw it. We're, we're, we're done. We're going to follow the protocols as best we can, but we're just done waiting around for them to say, give us the okay. We're going for it. We're opening the thing and we're making cars and I'm going to stand on the production line. If they come and they try to arrest anybody, they're going to arrest me and arrest me first. And so then this whole big event went down and it was all crazy and it was making headlines. And then Elon Musk was like, we are leaving California. They're moving their production facility. They ended up choosing Texas as their next location. It was kind of a given. They threw out Tulsa, but it was only to probably get just a better deal moving to Texas. They already have some establishment in Texas with SpaceX um, being there. And they so went the, uh, they went the Joe Rogan route. Right. They are, you know, they want a little sweeter tax cut. So yes, they're moving to Texas. And in the very beginning of this, I read an article that proposed a similar idea to what I have actually started to see becoming a trend. And it was these big tech companies starting to get fed up with the legal and business environment inside of California. And it's no surprise to anybody when companies start to find, man, they're making it really difficult for us to do business, even outside of the pandemic. Yeah. And there have been lots of complaints been filed and, and Tesla has certainly been one of the most vocal as far as I can remember throughout the years, just because that's, you know, that's generally how the company is. They're very vocal about, you know, these kind of things because Elon Musk, as everybody knows, is constantly on Twitter. Mm -hmm. So the article that I saw was saying, hey, if Tesla is leaving California, why don't other people, why don't other companies start to do it? And so I was like, hey, man. That's a pretty interesting idea. You know, that's where Silicon Valley is, and that's where all these big tech companies are, and there's a bunch of startups out there. And unfortunately, or fortunately, whichever side you'd like to take, I think it's actually the beginning, and I think it's starting to pick up some steam. Mm. So a couple of days back, Disney announced, I believe it's one or two days back at this point, Disney announced that their California park is no longer offering annual passes. They have canceled their annual pass program after the park has been closed for 10 months. They have not been Get allowed to open town. the park for 10 months. And they said, screw it. Wow. We're canceling the annual pass program. We are refunding all the money. And that's it. That's all they've said. But it has re-sparked the general idea that these businesses are going to begin leaving California. They, and I mean, it's kind of, the more that I think about it, the more obvious it gets at this point. Disney has been, you know, if you just kind of like read, if you've been following along in this whole story, because Disney from the very beginning has been like, okay, what do we need to do to, you know, try to get some people in the park? Not even at max capacity. How, how can we get 25% capacity? How can we get 30%? How can we get 10, 15%? How can we get people into the park? We need to start making money. We have all these employees working out of this state we we employ all these people we can't just keep paying them lots and lots of money and making zero money right mm. and so they've been working working very hard to try to get this thing to open and so they're supposed to open a couple of times up to this point each time it just keeps getting delayed and pushed back and the, the 
regulatory process has just been slowing them down. And I feel like this is it. They've, they've snapped, they've had it. We did see the change over of CEOs towards the beginning of this whole thing. Bob Iger did step down. He's yep. a huge visionary at Disney. I believe we talked about this a while back, actually. Yep. And Bob Chapek actually is the person who took over another Bob. And Bob Chapek was previously the president of Parks and Experiences, their entire branch that focuses on the Parks and Experiences. And it kind of makes sense when you start to think about it. Why would you have the Parks and Experiences person take over when their tech side is really popping off? Things like Disney Plus and these other offerings that they have outside of the parks to try to make, you know, bring in customers from people who can't go to these physical experiences. Unless you are going to seriously heavily focus on these in-person experiences coming up the next couple of years, you wouldn't put a person like that in charge. And so that's clearly, you know, it's kind of starting the pieces are falling into place where, uh-oh, we're canceling our annual pass in mm-hmm. California. And the person who runs all the parks and oversees this and has the vision for where the parks and the in-person experiences are going is taking over the company because this is their you know next big jumping point is to really launch into this. And I think they're kind of had their hand forced. Yeah. And it's going to be interesting to see you know what else comes out of this. But the big, big news that we've been building up all that ranting that I just did, Disney headquarters in Florida, moving everything out of California, all things Disney into wow. Florida. The more you think about it, the more wow. they could do it. They have the land. They have access to the talent. I mean, it's it's Orlando. There's tons of universities and there's tons of uh, international students coming in and out of the state on a on a on a you know a regular year, not not like we're currently in in a pandemic where you know you can't just have anybody fly into whatever university they want to study at right now. It's kind of difficult. Much of the studying is online, so they can't even go there. Mm. But if you think about it, this is kind of you know. They are already established here. They have the networking, they have the experience, they have the capacity, they have the capital on hand to tomorrow sign the paper and send it off and immediately flip the switch and bring everything here to Orlando. What a explosion Holy that cow. would be. And that would be a nuclear – it would be equivalent to setting off a nuclear bomb in the business. It's Tesla in California. Sure, it's a big deal, but it's still Tesla, a young tech vehicle startup that hasn't been around for very long. Yeah. And, you know, everybody sees them. They're scrappy. And, and Elon Musk is constantly out there on Twitter. And, you know, he's he's uh, unfiltered stream of consciousness that keeps rumbling at us. But if Disney, this huge established brand, says we're done and we've had it, we're getting out of here. We are leaving this sinking ship, you know. Some of these other people who look up to Disney are going to be like, hey, man, they're jumping ship. What are we going to do? Right? Are we going to stick around? So I just thought, you know, like, what do you think, Josh? What If Disney brought everything here to Florida, they, they brought the film studios, they brought the headquarters, they brought all of their, you know, their main people, everything came I mean, to Orlando. Florida better get their tax incentives back if they do. <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah, man. Uh It's interesting that you bring this up just because 
of the Hollywood culture that's just, you know, all around California. It's just a whole kind of aura and vibe. Right. It's just, that's that. kind of the feel. See, and and the, prob- the problem is that it's, it's the only – it's really like one of the only good things about Cali right now. <laughs> like in terms of – like you're paying – when you're when you're bloody paying twelve dollars for a gallon of milk, it's like holy cow! What is wrong with your state? Like, get it together. Um, so I'm not surprised if Disney wants to get out of Dodge. Um, it, it it would not surprise me at all. I think it would be a good move. I think um, potentially it could be detrimental to. Uh, parts of Florida, if it were to happen prematurely, because of you know our highway infrastructure is still having a lot of work done on it. Uh, there are places in Central Florida that are still being built up and, and and built up to withstand increasing populations. And so I think ideally it could happen, but it needs to be done well. And I would even say that maybe because of Walt Disney World being here in Orlando already it would behoove Disney to think about putting their business side of things in a part that is maybe not far removed from Orlando, but not right here. Um, Smack dab in the middle of it. getting too busy. You could, right. make an, you could make an argument for a place like Tallahassee or Jacksonville, potentially, that still has, um, you know, pull as less people. Right. Um, but... It'd be interesting. That's very. That's a very interesting possibility. But it wouldn't surprise me if Disney's. Di- I, right. I, 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 California. I, I feel so bad because it's like so much is wrong over there, man. It's it's just horrible. <laughs> like, wouldn't be surprised if the San Andreas picks sometime in the next five years to split California off from the rest of the rest of the union. Anyway. Very Plus, you kind of have to think about it. It's like, who other than Disney can actually afford to take the steps like this right now? Like, even if other companies wanted to leave, and I think I think the general trend that we're seeing is that's, is that's what's going to happen. Even if any of the other, not even speaking of just for general companies, if we just talk about the movie industry, which which is synonymous almost with California. When every yeah. time I think of California, I think or about the movie industry. Right. And... It's like the – even if these companies really wanted to and they see Disney doing that, like, all right, Disney's doing it. We're going to peace out too. They look over and they check the balance sheet and there's a big fat zero for income this past year. They don't have the capital to pick up and leave like Disney does. They have to sit around and wait. They're not making money right now. They're not producing content, at least at the rate and the pace that they have been able to because you know things are just in lockdown and in general it's just been a difficult time to try to bring people together for big projects like that even as things are getting better it's you know they were in delay for so long now when things start to pick back up you kind of have to get back into routine and you have to you know get everybody going again it takes time to build up back to where you were and so even if they wanted to leave i don't think we really see this happening for another another couple of years at least to where they can start to get some capital flowing into their hands and you know say hey let's look around where do we want to go do we want to go to an atlanta or do we want to go somewhere new do we want to take 
some part of the country where there's just a lot of space honestly where if, I'm, if i'm if i'm out of any, this big city if i'm any big company looking to cut my losses and get out of a get out of an environment that seems to be doomed um or at the very minimal seems to be trending downward i'd freaking go to texas like everyone else is right now um austin is one of the happiest places in america it has one of the best like business satisfaction rates of employers and employees, as far as I'm aware. Um, there, there's, there's, there's a lot of opportunity there. Um, mm-hmm. That's actually where lots of Tesla's space. going. Tesla's, Tesla's going there. out of Austin. Austin. Um, and so, yeah, I'd be looking to move. Yeah, I wouldn't. It, <laughs> I think we're all going to be going to Texas at some point. Um, <laughs> honestly, man, it's craziness. Crazy. Hey, they're they're on the up and coming. They are, man. Think about it. You wouldn't even even said that a couple of years ago. You wouldn't nope. even said, "Hey, man, you know, let's let's pack up and go to Texas." I mean, sure, you could have, and it wouldn't have been strange, but it wouldn't have had the same impact that it has right now. You kind of have to you have to think about that. It's like, okay, so these uh, the crazy thing is, is that these companies there are two kind of like if they really wanted to get out right now. It this just came into mind. I don't know why, but if they really wanted to get out right now. This is the play. So if any big, you know, movie producers listening to this, because I know they're all listening to this, they all tune into the dial for to hear Josh's great intellect and wisdom bless upon them. But here <laughs> is the business. Thanks for your sarcasm. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> you no, no, no. I'm kidding. Really I'm kidding. But, <laughs> but no, but no. For for seriously, if they if they wanted to do the big brain play and they and they want it out now here is kind of the playbook right so you'd have to do one of two gangster moves you'd have to a go out in public and be like who wants to host us send us th- send us you know like applications or you know throw your name in the bucket and we'll come take a look you know different cities around the country there's lots and lots of space in america outside of california of texas of georgia of florida that these companies can go and they're already established enough where they can just bring their talent with them they can say look all right we're gonna go here if you want to come we will pay to bring you with us because you're an asset on our balance sheet and we'll bring our entire task force to wherever we're going to move to and we're going to set off a absolute prosperity bomb in whichever city you know we find best suits us even if it's not where everybody else is going because we bring all this revenue and all this capital into whichever city we're going to be placed in now mm-hmm. and they could do that and they could say you know hey come like help us out here or they could go with the other play which is just the the straight hail mary say who wants to hand us the the money right now and you know, we're not going to sit around and wait. We're not going to wait to get some money. You hand us the money, and we will be there tomorrow on your doorstep to absolutely unload and just set off this giant hiring spree and transform your economy from you know whatever you were doing before. Now add on the movie industry, and if a big player, you know, like Warner Brothers or somebody like that, does something like that, and they move over here or or uh, you know some big picture brand, honestly. They're gonna follow. Other 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 production companies are gonna follow and come right behind them because they kind of stick around in the same area. It's just generally easier because the uh, 
amount of assets that it requires to produce a big motion picture. You know, you have to have the sound stages and you have to have the casting and the crew and, and all these different things that they share in between each other a lot. Even though they're making different movies, you know, you could see the same person working for different companies because they could just be generally contracted out. They just, you know, they all kind of group together. That's kind of generally why they're all located in such few places. We have them in, in Cal the most three that I can think of are California, uh, Georgia, and Florida. Those are the first three that come to mind when I think of movie production. It's just because they're all grouped around each other, it's easier that way. And if you say, hey, you're looking to leave you want somewhere to go like we're nebraska sure we're known right. for like cornfields but i mean move to downtown like move to central nebraska and we'll open it up to you whatever you need we're here to help you and then they're just all right sure why not boom they're there and matter, they're all set up and everybody's following it's a matter i think of what states would have the revenue to support right that. and again our, our previous discussions about the political climate will probably influence that too particularly because hollywood seems to tends to be a more liberal industry as it is uh there may be more there may be states in the union that are turned off to the possibility of doing that simply for that reason which might be wrong and prejudiced but even so that's just the reality of, of the fact you know reality of the facts right um, and so it's a matter of what states would be open what states have the means um and then how easily the industry can be shifted transferred like yes, that right exactly and uh, just to your point about uh sound stages and, and things like that um, a lot of them are are shared i'm sure but a lot of a lot of film production companies have their own lots and things that they use and charge their own rates for using um and we'll, we'll be right right but they're charging own. like a small independent filmmaker see the way that i was trying uh, yes, to context true, it is true, like true, 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 you right. have a lot of small independent filmmakers who are saying hey can we borrow this because you're right, right here oh well all these people are right here and they have all these big assets built up we're just going to go ahead and set up shop here and it'll right. be easier for us to rent this from them than go ahead and build it on our own because they put the time and the money in so if somebody like a warner brothers or somebody like a you know uh I don't know, name any other big movie production company. Lionsgate. Uh, Lionsgate or, or, or some... New Lion. Uh, um, I mean, literally any of them. They just spend the capital to produce these big production facilities. It's going to attract other smaller companies that mm -hmm. don't have the money to build this but still need that level of uh, just quality of the assets to produce these films that they're making. Like even like somebody like an Amazon, Amazon mm -hmm. can't just go out and I mean, uh, I guess Amazon is a bad example because they can't just go out and do whatever they please. Yeah. But somebody like a Netflix, right? They they have a lot of money on hand, but they don't immediately have their own you know soundstage. They don't have the uh, sets and the props and. Borrow this thing to make our dealie and we'll pay you Yo, right you cut, and you, so, you cut out for a second can you go back for a second you cut out oh for a second. sorry uh so if somebody like a netflix comes along and they want to make a netflix original they've got a lot of money on hand right but you know it takes time to build the production facilities so they're going to one of these big people and they're gonna say hey let us borrow your thing we're gonna pay you some money and you know then we're just gonna keep doing this until we build up our own thing they're going to be building in the same general area as where they're borrowing from because one all their people are already there 
and two, it's just generally easier if you know if I build a factory in the middle of housing, that doesn't really work. There's no other factories nearby. There's no infrastructure for me to play off of. I'm going to build a factory by another factory. I'm going to build another movie set by another mm -hmm. movie set. It just those are the general things that you have to think about when planning these out. And so these big players are like already established there. They just kind of attract general other players who want to be big. If you want to be big, you have to go where big players are, right? You want to swim in the shark tank, you have to swim with the sharks in the yeah. shark tank, wherever the shark tank would be. You can't just want to be the big boss and not play with the big boys, right? You know, you gotta you gotta go where the you gotta go where the uh, where the big players are if you want to compete with them. Mm -hmm. Speaking of the big boys, uh, what is this about Tesla recalling 158,000 vehicles? So the National Highway and Traffic Safety Association, obviously jumping into real tech hours here, very smooth transition, uh, has asked Tesla to recall 1,580 vehicles to fix a touchscreen defect. So basically, in some of the older um, Model S is a Model X is in the you know how they have that main touchscreen for controlling mm -hmm. pretty much everything in the vehicle because they they move a lot of things on there. Um, there is a uh, set of system memory. It's a flash memory, kind of like RAM, that you just write to it. It's like, it's like quick access memory. You just write something on it, and then it's going to get overwritten and overwritten and overwritten. And every time you're driving, they it, the media console is using this flash memory it's constantly using it up and it's rewriting it but that's the thing about flash memory is it can only be written onto so many times all all hard drives and uh solid state drives and, and everything all memory in computers can only be written to so many times before it just can't be written to again that's generally just how they work right and this specific uh piece of flash this specific chip they put in there uh, was only so big is only eight gigs, which now now they've stepped up to 32 to solve the problem. But basically, this little chip could only be written to a finite number of times, and you actually, after a little while, would find out, man, a lot of people who are buying these vehicles are actually hitting this finite number of times, mm. right? For the vehicle's life, for the general life of the vehicle is expected to be over, and so after three to four years, the console fails, and it's pretty much a guaranteed failure and so the highway administration they went to they received around 500 complaints from people all for this specific issue and they went to tesla and they said hey tesla what's up with this and tesla said all right yeah look we went back and we looked and we have you know about we've we've solved this problem in the past for a lot more vehicles than the one than what you're describing it was like a, a five or six digit number and they said you know, I, we think this is, we, we, we believe this to be a problem and we have a solution already in place for all of our new vehicles. This just affects older vehicles. And so the highway administration said, all right, let's go ahead and recall all these older vehicles. And you can, obviously most customers are just going to default to fixing it and To 
fix this problem that they knew about for you know x amount of time maybe they didn't know about it when they made the car but three to four years afterwards when these things start failing and you see the patterns start popping up then they're like oh shoot we screwed up now we have to go back and fix it but it's been three to four years most car warranties from a manufacturer don't last three to four years so right. now the highway uh, safety administration stepping in and saying all right this is a problem that you knew about in advance you have to fix it and you can't charge people for it so basically they went ahead and recalled all these vehicles and now tesla is going to i mean tesla hasn't responded yet uh it's only been i think 48 hours at most from when the article started popping up that they officially issued the recall obviously it's going to get recalled and fixed and you just drive down to the nearest tesla uh showcase or whatever they call the crazy things they're not dealerships and well they don't well, Tesla legally doesn't define them as dealerships oh, I see. for yeah, uh, yeah. a lot of reasons, but um, they're like, I think they're called showcases. I think that's what they're called. And uh, get this thing fixed. And, and it's a you know quick swap, I would assume. They just got to open it up and, and pop it in and out. And so it's just kind of interesting. Uh, a lot of things have been happening with Tesla, and this is just you know the latest in the stream of giant events. Man, talk to me about um, streaming wars really quick. Straight into streaming wars. You ain't got no comments on that. All right. Straight to streaming wars it is. So, this, we've talked a lot about streaming wars, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. This has been a, a regular has, recurring uh, Netflix topic. Netflix has uh, a new movie coming out every week this year. Really? Yep. Interesting. Yep. I didn't know that. Over 70 That's films. crazy. Over 70 films. Holy cow. Yep. Well, let's talk about the streaming wars. We've talked a, a lot has been said about the streaming wars, but it has been a, it's not been, 2020 was not a phenomenal year by any standard of me, but for streaming, 2020 was absolutely stellar. So who won during the streaming wars? Everybody from consumers to firms, there was only one loser and that loser's name is Quibi. We will talk about Quibi in just a brief moment, but first let's talk about the biggest winners. So. Josh, I'm gonna hit you with some numbers. Please do. And you, and then I'm gonna ask you a question. Okay, so as of December 2019, who had the most paying subscribers to their service? I'm gonna give you five ones, and you can choose from the five firms. So we have Disney Plus, uh, we have Hulu, uh, which which are separate to some degree because mm -hmm. you do have to pay for them separately, even though they come in a bundle, but they can be counted separately. So we have Disney Plus, we have Hulu. HBO, which is like HBO Max, Amazon Prime Video, and Netflix. So of those three, which do you believe to be the largest as of December 2019? You mean of those five? Of oh, those five, yeah, sorry. This is as of December 2019, eh? Right. I'm going to go with HBO. Seriously? Yeah. Interesting. That's crazy, because <laughs> unfortunately, HBO is not even close. <laughs> HBO <laughs> comes in at third. Sick. Uh... The, uh, but don't tell me. Um, Disney Plus. There's only two big players of that five. I was gonna say Disney, or Disney and Netflix. I guessed HBO because I just felt like it. The biggest is Netflix. That's correct, with right. 167 million. The second biggest, which should come as no surprise, is Amazon Prime Video Amazon with 150 Prime. million because Amazon Prime is included. Amazon Prime Video is included with your Amazon Prime subscription, so everybody who is a Prime member is yep. automatically signed up for Prime Video. Yep. So it's kind of unfair to everybody else. But Disney actually comes in last as of December 2019 because they yeah. only launched a here. couple months prior. That's crazy. So 
Disney Plus came in at 27 million. Uh, Hulu is at 29, HBO is at 35, Amazon Prime Video 150, and Netflix 167 million. That's so December 2019, not December. 20. December 2019, right? And so then the pandemic hits. Everybody's at home. Everybody is streaming content. These oh, subscription see, services. This is their time to I shine. See, if see. they have not been doing well, I it see. is time to pop off. Who pops off the most out of those five that I gave you? Who added the most subscribers throughout? the whole year from December 2019 to December 2020. Uh, I'm going to go with not Netflix. Netflix did not add the most subscribers. That is correct. Um, I'm also going to go with not Hulu. Hulu did not add the most subscribers. That is also correct. We're also going to go with not Disney+. Plus. That would be incorrect. Dang the it. most <laughs> growth was on Disney+. Plus, Disney and I Plus. think this is about to shock you. So we are going to go from uh, lowest to greatest, obviously Amazon Prime Video. Uh, you know, Amazon Prime Video is over 150 million. It's 150 million plus whatever the current number of Amazon Prime subscribers is is what it is. But they they've slowed down in terms of adding people to Amazon Prime. The one that we do have an account for, Hulu, added 8 million, so that brings them up to 37 million. They added 8 million people to it in a year. HBO Max or HBO in general comes in because they do have a couple other subscriptions. Comes in at second or sorry. Uh, I don't know how we're ranked. We'll just say they came in next mm -hmm. with a 23 million bump, puts them up to 57 million, a nice, healthy number. Hey, you cut out again, by the way. Hello, hello, hello. Hello? You've cut out a couple times, dude. Give me a million. Give me... They started with 27 and they added 60 to go up to 87 million. Yo, go back, go back real quick because you cut out again. I don't know why you keep cutting out, but go oh, back to uh, go back to the third one. Go back to number three. Uh, Netflix. Okay. I cut out. Okay, so Netflix added 28 million. Okay. Uh. And oh, sorry, you said number three. So HBO, yeah, HBO I, Max added twenty-three million. Netflix added twenty-eight million. Disney Plus added sixty million. That's ludicrous, bro. Sixty million. It's especially crazy when you think about it. They didn't. That's over double what they had at the end of twenty nineteen. Now, if you think about it, you know Disney Plus only just launched back in twenty nineteen. But, you know, to have 27 million subscribers pretty much straight out the gate was kind of like, oh my goodness, they're coming out sprinting. Obviously, mm -hmm. it's Disney, but this is kind of crazy to add 60 million subscribers in the same time where your competitors are adding 20 to 30 is absolutely mind-blowing. The, the extreme growth that Disney Plus saw, I mean, they've just in general killed it. They, they have taken a lot of stabs at trying to enter the internet space whether you know it or not uh they have tried their own social media website they've tried their own uh this isn't their first shot in online streaming actually they've tried uh at least two other times that i can remember the top of my head and pretty much everything that they've thrown at the wall just doesn't stick and for disney plus to not only stick to the wall absolutely break the wall and destroy everything around it mm. it just kind of 
blew me out of the water when I saw that. Um, but now, you know, let's talk about the biggest loser for the Streaming Wars 2020. Josh, what what do you know about Quibi, Josh? They make those little uh, those little 10 to 20 minute shorts. They make the little ten to twenty minute shorts. That's yeah. what Quibi was supposed to stand for. I will be, I'll be there in a Quibi. I'll catch you in a Quibi. They were trying to get that to catch on. This firm with absolutely stellar leadership. That was their big play. They had. They came in 2019. Oh, we're ready to go. We're gonna. We we have a billion dollar budget. That's crazy. Nobody has suddenly showed up with a billion dollars in funding. We've got these absolute giants who have been around in the space for a really long time. One of the leaders of Quibi was actually uh, the director of some pretty major Disney movies. Uh, I believe he worked on uh, Aladdin and the... Oh, I don't think he was part of The Lion King. Aladdin and some, some other really uh, name household brand. And uh, he worked on a lot, a lot of other smaller projects. But basically, it's like this, these absolute titans of the industry are coming together and they've got a billion dollars in funding and we are going to go to where the people want us. They're, they're watching content on their phones. We're going to provide it in whichever orientation they want and it's going to be short form. So it's going to be easy to watch mm-hmm. and, and quick and snap this up, right? And so this sounds like a brilliant idea. But then, you know, you take a look at the rest of the space and man, did they get crushed in the same time that they announced that they were spending a billion dollars on content. Netflix dropped eight billion into content amazon decided to drop double digits it was like 12 or 14 billion into original content disney plus launched with all this old content that they pulled up out of the vault and all this new content that they were pouring into i mean even just the mandalorian in general has caused such a huge uproar on social media and 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 all these other spaces that has brought people into the service and they just absolutely got crushed quibi has closed up shop they actually just got acquired recently uh roku's buying up all their content and is going to throw it on their platform one of the actually surprising winners coming out of 2020 is roku uh even though you know you look at the space roku kind of owns the rails that's one of the ways to identify who's going to uh perform the best is there's a couple stand metrics you can look at okay so who produces the content uh no, that's great and all if you produce content but do you own the distribution method do you own the way to get from you know your your film set to the person's screen how much of that railroad do you own whereas amazon you know they own the film set and they own the amazon fire tv stick plugged into your tv they can easily push you whatever content they want to the home page whereas your disney that's a little bit harder you don't own any at-home box set where somebody right. can load up into your content instantly and you can constantly push them your newest you know show or whatever you want but i mean quibi owned none of it <laughs> and they didn't produce a lot to push out there and they didn't have a lot of friends in the space so they kind of yeah. got bulldozed over and they sold for chump change <laughs> it's they sold for like a couple hundred million i think whereas they were valued over what two billion or something like that mm-hmm. so that's tough. That suck? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, I mean, that, uh, has, that has been Real Tech Hours with... That uh, is indeed. Holmes, host of the Real Tech Hours podcast. Which you can find on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, anywhere you listen to your podcast. Send him an email at 
realtechhourspodcast at gmail.com. Just like you can send us an email, askthedialpodcast at gmail.com. It's you got ASK. any other topics you'd like to touch on there, Josh? Um, well, askthedialpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, let me do a recap of uh, what I talked about on the last podcast really quick. Uh, just get into okay. some – NFL predictions for this upcoming week. Uh, so we have eight teams remaining in the NFL playoffs. Again, I talked about a bunch of this stuff during the pod on Monday. If you want to go and check that out, again, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, uh, pardon me, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Um, went over all the scores, the stats, all of that goodness. Um, go over the matchups we have upcoming starting tomorrow. Um, we have Green Bay, Los Angeles, Buffalo, Baltimore, Kansas City, Cleveland, New Orleans, Tampa Bay. Uh, I think that Lambeau Field in Green Bay will be too much for Los Angeles to handle. 33-13 uh, in favor of Green Bay. Look, Aaron Rodgers is virtually unstoppable this year. Uh, their defense is, I believe, top in the league. Um, I don't see a way Green Bay doesn't pull this one out. Buffalo-Baltimore will be closer. Uh, it'll be the Lamar Jackson-Josh Allen match, two of the quarterbacks of the future. These kind of running quarterbacks who can throw for 300 yards and rush for 100 in the same game. Um, Buffalo 30, Baltimore 27. I think the key for Baltimore, if they're going to win, is to get their running game going because they have an ultimately better running game than Buffalo, and the key for Buffalo would be Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs connecting as much as possible for as many yards as possible. Uh, Kansas City and Cleveland. Um, it will be closer than most people think. Uh, obviously, the Browns have that stigma around them, but I think 27-21 is the final score in favor of Kansas City, uh, just because Kansas City has more experience in the playoffs at the moment. Uh, would not be surprised if Cleveland scores a lot early. Um, and Cleveland scores a lot late, but I think ultimately uh, Kansas City uh, claims victory. Finally, New Orleans and Tampa Bay, the Breeze-Brady matchup that everybody is very eager to see. That one's going to be 30-24 to 24 in favor of New Orleans. Um, I stand, I'm a proponent of big, of, uh, I'm a big proponent of Drew Brees being a better quarterback ultimately than, than Tom Brady. Um, well, they're, better, they're, they're each better in their own way. Um, Ultimately, I just think that New Orleans will come out on top. I think it will be close. Um, I think if Tampa Bay had their running game, if their running back was not injured, it would be a little bit easier for them to do better. If they're going to win, uh, Brady and Gronkowski are going to have to connect a bunch. 30-24, to 24, New Orleans over Tampa Bay. Uh, Parker, did you have a good time today? Yes, sir. It's been a long long time since it i've has, had to think it has, <laughs> about any of this kind of stuff so i mean it's has. like but hey you know i've this this is always fun it's always fun to we you know get on here and cover all this different we stuff. covered a lot of things from politics to social stuff to uh, election trivia to real tech hours and disney and tesla and streaming and sports again if you guys have input or comments on any of it feel free to reach out to me on instagram at the creative jp where you can send an email to the podcast, askthedialpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, my name is Josh Pritchett with Parker Holmes. This has been the Dial Podcast. You may now touch that dial because, Parker, we're done. See y'all later. <laughs>